Hey everyone, I'm Walt, one of the High Rock pastors. I don't know about you, but I grew up going to church on Sundays. That's just how we did it in my parents' house. Then when I went to college, I I kept on going. I tried out a ton of new churches, but church was always the Sunday plan. When Jenna and I moved up to the Boston area in 2009, what did we do? We found a church, High Rock, and that became our Sunday routine. Then I took a job that required me to work on Sundays. But it was as a pastor, so church was still on the menu. I was in a rhythm of coming together with people to listen to the scripture and encourage one another. And sure, there were Sundays when I was out of town or sick, but other than that, I was there. Gathering on Sunday was just what we did. But all that changed in the middle of March 2020. As COVID began moving across the country, things began shutting down. And after hours of intense discussion, our church staff made a decision that was absolutely unprecedented. We were going to stop meeting in person. Not for one, not two, not three, but four whole weeks. Four Sundays. I couldn't believe it. Those weeks felt weird. (laughs) Of course, everything was weird and challenging then, but this was different. The pandemic was disrupting a rhythm that had been in place for decades. Many other parts of my life had shifted and changed, but this never had a gap of more than a week or two. I just didn't know what to do with myself. Of course, we put together our online services and there was so much that I enjoyed and appreciated about them, but by and large, I just felt restless on those days. Something was missing and it was throwing everything else off too. Good thing it was only going to last four weeks, right? Well, we all know that instead of just being out for four Sundays, it ended up being almost 14 months worth of Sundays. Even today, it's still hard to wrap my mind around that time, and honestly, there's a lot I'd be pretty happy to forget. But I noticed something. After a little while, I shifted from restlessness into rest. It got to a point where I felt like, this is kind of (laughs) nice. I hadn't just had open weekends before. There was new kinds of flexibility and new kinds of options, as much as the pandemic would allow, at least. Maybe there were other things that I could do to fill in this time. I remember early in those pandemic days talking with the rest of our church staff about the concept of habit breaking. What happens when you take something that has been such a prominent and automatic part of so many people's lives and move it off the table? Could we really expect that things would just snap back into place? The answer, as we would come to find out, was no. When life began to return to normal, a lot of folks did not return to church. Maybe, like me, they they started to feel that, hey, a new routine on Sunday is kind of nice. But by and large, I don't think people just replaced going to church with brunch or, or kids' activities. I think that habit was replaced by a question. What's the point of going to church in the first place? What's church good for? What makes it worth this kind of priority? Is, is there an easier way to get what I want out of a church community? Maybe there is. When it comes to the spiritual life, we're not hurting for content. We can listen to sermons from the best preachers and and worship music from the best bands with a click of a button. We can take free seminary courses online if we want to scratch our intellectual itch. We can take guided retreats and meditations by ourselves in the woods. We can pray via apps. We can read countless books on the Christian life. If we came to church on Sundays mainly for spiritual content, then we probably found it pretty easy to pivot to other sources. What about relationships and community? As it turns out, we don't have to show up on Sunday to connect with the people that we want to connect with. We can stay in touch with our small group or with our own friends. And the bonus is that if there were people at church we weren't crazy about seeing, well, 
problem solved. Some of us were probably coming to church in spite of everyone else here anyway. So your Sunday just got a lot easier. The church doesn't have the market cornered on relationships. There, there's your gym, your discord group, your intertube water polo team, right? Plenty of ways to be around the people that you want to be around. And others would say that we don't have it cornered on service and social justice either. If there's a course that you're, or a cause that you're passionate about, you can find that, that nonprofit that's engaging with it. A local church can only do so much and be invested in so many ministries and organizations. But that doesn't have to be the limiter. There are a lot of options and opportunities for service out there. So if you can get your spiritual content, your relational connections, and your social engagement somewhere else tailored to exactly how you'd want it, why would you come to a church service and be a part of a church community? Right now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, this guy is raising a lot of good points. Maybe I can sneak on out of here. Hey, if that's you, I won't call you out if you're making a break for it, I promise. But I hope you'll stick around for just a little bit longer. Because I think everyone needs to consider this question. What is the point of church? If the point of a church is just to download spiritual content, help make some friendships, and be activated for service, then there might be a case to be made for why our time and energy is better spent elsewhere. But if the point of the church is more than that, then that could change how we think about ourselves and our involvement in it. We're getting into the final third of our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, Beyond Belief. We've hit on some doozies recently. Jesus' suffering, hell, judgment, heavy stuff. We might think that this is going to be a lighter topic. The Holy Spirit, the church, the saints, easy street. You know, I, I confess that I thought so too when we were dividing up the sermon topics. I was like, hey, you guys take hell and judgment. I'll just go with the church. Thanks. But as it turns out, this is a total trap game. This one packs a punch. Because I think now, more than ever, we are being forced to wrestle with the question of what does it mean to believe in the Holy Catholic or Universal Church and the communion of saints? More than just acknowledge that it exists, but to shape our lives around this belief. In our scripture passage today, we're given two competing visions for life. Life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Life in the flesh is defined by self-serving acts, debauchery, idolatry, jealousy, discord, living in a way where we privilege ourselves and our needs above others. But life in the spirit is defined by self-giving acts, patience, kindness, gentleness, and more. Living in a way where we follow Jesus by putting the needs of others above our own and receiving the joy that comes from that generosity of life. For many of us in the church, it's not, not a hard decision between these two. We want life in the spirit. I think the question we have to wrestle with is, so how do we get it? And what role does the church have, if any, in helping us do that? Maybe I can get that on my own. Or by pursuing some of these other venues for relationships and service and so on. But perhaps there is more going on in the church than we realize. If we want to understand what the creed is saying regarding the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints, then we have to start with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago in our sermon on the virgin birth, we considered how the Holy Spirit works to bring life where there has not been life before. In places that seemed impossible, such as an unformed world, the womb of a virgin, or the tomb of Jesus. The Holy Spirit moved to create life out of emptiness or death. Throughout history, God's people have been yearning for God to bring life where there is death. 
One moment when these cries were the loudest was during their oppression under Egypt. They were subjected to brutality and infanticide and slavery. Death was everywhere. So they called out to God. God heard their cries. And God delivered them out of death and into a new life as God's people. And this life was going to be different. It wasn't just going to be a normal life in a different kind of place. It was going to be a completely new way of living. God makes a covenant with Israel, a promise to bless them so that they would be a blessing to others. This covenant came with laws and instructions that would shape them into a people who bring the fruit of the Spirit into the world. Furthermore, God would send God's presence, the Spirit, to be with them. God says to Moses, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. This sanctuary was known as the tabernacle, a temporary structure that would move with the people as they traveled. Each time they set up camp, they would assemble the tabernacle and the Holy Spirit would come down upon it in the form of a cloud. The people would gather outside of it and the priest would enter on their behalf. Generations later, King Solomon built a permanent house for the Spirit, the temple. It was elaborate and ornate and became the center of religious life for God's people. It was the place that they would come to encounter God, offer sacrifices, confess their sins, pray, and sing worship to God. It was the place they had to go to do those things because that's the place that God's spirit was. There weren't any other options available. Which made it so devastating when, after years of unfaithfulness to God and breaking the covenant, God removed his covenant protection and allowed for the people to be carried off into exile and the temple to be desecrated. If you have ever spoken to someone who has lost a home in a fire or other disaster, or if you yourself have had that happen, you know how painful and traumatic it is. All of those memories and meals and moments that make a family a family, the, the fabric of your life together is just gone. Now, imagine that on a much larger scale. What defined these people was that they were God's people. And this is where they experienced the reality of that relationship. Hundreds of years of communal life at the temple now wiped away. What was going to happen? Who would they become? After being in exile for 70 years, they returned. They restored the temple. They all gathered to read God's law and pray. It was the moment they had been yearning for and sweating for for years. God's spirit was going to return. The world would know they were God's people once more. And they invited God to come down to fill this place again, just as God had done in the past. But this time, it was different. The Spirit did not come in that same way. God did not return to the temple. Imagine for a second how confused they must have felt, how disappointed, how hurt. Was God angry with them? Had they done something wrong? Were some of the, the bricks out of the place? Out of place? What, was, what was going on here? What if a building wasn't what God ultimately wanted? What if the tabernacle and the temple weren't the final product, but signs that pointed to what God was going to do one day? You see, God didn't want to live inside of a building, but to live inside people. God didn't want a, a people with the temple. God wanted a temple people, people who welcomed the Holy Spirit in to bring life inside of them and between them so that they might bring life into the world around them. And that's what God promised to one day do. God said, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Put aside this old way of living, this self-serving life in the flesh with all of its sin and selfishness. Trade it instead for life in the Spirit, where the Spirit is in you and brings about the fruit of love and joy and peace and more. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all the things we've been learning about these past few weeks, God made a way to send down the Holy Spirit to fill the hearts of God's people and bring about new Spirit-filled life. We aren't people with a temple anymore. We are a temple people. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us and unites us to God and to one another. Across space and time, we become joined to God's people, the Catholic Universal Church, the saints whom God has called and redeemed in order to be a blessing to the world. A lot of people have lost faith or lost interest in the church. As I reflected earlier, it can be easier to get the things that we might want out of church from other places. Why go to the trouble of being a part of community, part of a community of Christians? It can be inconvenient discouraging, awkward, frustrating, and worse. Surely, there are better ways we could spend our Sundays or our weeknights. If we participate in the life of the church because we want the, the people or the pastors to provide something for us, then we're missing the point. If our primary concern is getting spiritual content, getting friendships, or getting opportunities to serve, then we will probably be disappointed in the end. Those aren't bad things. But all of those concerns start with people and what people can do for us. But when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and the communion of saints, we begin with the work of the Spirit and acknowledge that the church and the saints exist because of what the Spirit is doing. We believe in the church because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of people. When we gather on a Sunday or at any other time during the week, but especially on Sundays, we are coming together to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit together. And we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit isn't contained in some specific place within our sanctuary, but that the Holy Spirit dwells within and between us. We encounter the Holy Spirit by encountering one another. How do we do that? For many evangelicals, the sermon is a big deal, and it's no different at High Rock. We continue to hear how important it is to the members of our church, even when we put nonsensical gifs in them. Of course, nowadays, a sermon can be listened to anytime, anywhere. If you're just looking for content, you can get it. But what's actually happening in our worship services is that we join with fellow Christians around the world as the scriptures are read and taught. And then in our community, the Spirit moves through us bringing insight and conviction through the scriptures, deepening our understanding of God's grace, challenging us towards love. We receive this word together, and then we respond together, confessing our sins in community, being assured of God's forgiveness towards us, coming to the Lord's table as one family. And then in light of all that we have received, we go forward together with the Holy Spirit continuing to work among us and lead us in new life. We live in a time when it is so easy to, to curate our relationships, so easy to determine exactly how we will spend our time and who we will spend it with. But this profession of faith, our belief in the Holy Catholic Church and communion of saints, compels us to be a part of a community that we don't necessarily get to choose. God 
chose the church. God decided that the witness to the power of the gospel to the world was going to be through relationships that at times feel discouraging and inconvenient. Yet it is through these relationships that we will experience the fruit of the Spirit. We might think that we can get them through other means, but here's why the church is so crucial for this. The fruit of the Spirit are inherently relational. Love, patience, kindness, and the others are characteristics that are more often than not worked out in the context of relationships. What is going to test your capacity for love, gentleness, and goodness more than people will? Especially people you don't get to curate and choose. Have you ever prayed for more fruit of the Spirit? You might want to rethink that. It's not going to be easy. But it is in this testing that we are strengthened and better equipped to bring the Spirit's fruit into the world. That means that if we want to speak these lines of the creed with integrity, then we have to make some conscious decisions. We need to say yes to life as a part of the Catholic Church as well as a local expression of the communion of saints. So how do we do that? Baptism is the way in which someone is welcomed into the universal church. Throughout history, God saved his people from impossible situations by bringing them through water. God cleansed the world from an oppressive evil through a flood. God rescued the Hebrews from their captivity to the Egyptians by bringing them through the Red Sea. And God brought them into the Promised Land by parting the Jordan River. In every instance, death seemed certain. But God brought them through to life. Whenever someone wanted to join God's people, they were baptized. It was their way of joining this story, being brought through death and into life. And Jesus commanded that all who follow him be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you've decided that you want to follow Jesus, but you have not been baptized, then we would love to celebrate this step of faith with you. Baptisms are, are proclamations that our God saves, that God brings life from impossible situations. There is nothing that we love more than cheering as people come up out of the waters, rising to new life in Christ and the Holy Spirit. If this is you, don't hold back. Talk to one of our pastors today about becoming baptized. Being baptized brings you into the universal church, but it is also important to become a part of a local church. And when I say become a part of, I don't just mean attending on a Sunday or, or even being a part of a small group. I mean becoming a member of that church, someone who has joined with others in working towards their mission through sacrificially giving their time, their finances, their energy, and more. And this is where the rubber meets the road. In some parts of the world, being baptized can be incredibly costly. It could put you under the threat of death or get you disowned from your family. Perhaps that has been part of your experience, particularly the latter. But my experience has been that in our culture, baptism has been fairly straightforward, whereas an ongoing commitment to a local church feels incredibly costly. Church membership asks for a lot. It's a way of saying to a community of Christians that we are committed to this life in the Spirit together, and we are committed to our shared mission. We remain committed to each other even when we come into conflict and it would be easier to run away. And often, that vision is in conflict with how many of us think about church. If becoming a member of a church is like getting married to that church, then many of us might prefer to stay in the dating zone or even the, the friend zone. We might like High Rock, have a good time together, etc., but we don't want to make any kind of formal commitment. 
in some seasons, that is totally appropriate. If you're on a first date with someone and they pull out a ring, then you ask for the check. The point of dating is discernment. Is this relationship worthy of a more serious commitment? And you have to do a lot of important work to determine that. But it always pains me when I talk to a friend who's in a dating relationship and they confess they would never actually marry that person. They, they've made up their mind. They, they, they like the comfort of the relationship, but all the comfort, also the comfort of keeping their options open. And my fear is that a lot of us have gotten comfortable just dating the church. So friends, I think it's time for a DTR. When Jen and I got married, we, we tried to go in with eyes wide open. We knew that we were making promises to a sinner. We knew there are parts of our sin that would hurt the other person. But we also believe that love covers a multitude of sins. And we were prepared to pursue life in the spirit together, knowing that there would always be a, a fight with our flesh, with our, our selfishness. Determining whether or not to become a member of a church is not about finding the perfect church. It just doesn't exist. And if it did, you'd ruin it by joining because there's no perfect people either. But it's an opportunity to discern what imperfections you are willing to say yes to anyway. If you aren't a member of High Rock, my encouragement to you is to do the work of discerning whether or not that this is a community that you can make a formal commitment to. Talk to a pastor or council member, take one of our membership classes, ask hard questions, knowing that some of the answers might be a disappointment to you. But my hope is that you will see a bigger picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing here and that picture inspires you to join us. Maybe by now you know everything you need to know and you just need to make a choice. If you're going to be in, be all in with us. Or perhaps you've determined that you can't be a member here in good conscience. We totally understand that. And if that is you, then we'd encourage you to find a different church where you can be a member there, where they can benefit from you and you from them, and we would be more than happy to help you in that search. Being a member doesn't mean that we become an unapologetic cheerleader of the church or, or turn a blind eye towards our problems. There, there is so much I love about High Rock, and also plenty that frustrates and at times grieves me. In the years since I first became a member, I, I see more clearly our faults and shortcomings, but I also see and celebrate the movement of the Spirit among us in ways that I never did when I was just spectating. And now I get to work on smoothing out our rough edges with friends who have real skin in the game, instead of just being someone who throws stones from the outside. The commitment to God's church is costly. There have been plenty of times where I've wanted more time to myself or I thought about how else I could have used the money that our family tithes or whether I've just felt tired or hurt or upset by being in relationships with sinful people like me. Yeah, with this great cost has come a great reward. I'm blown away by how I've seen high rockers comfort one another in times of despair, go out of their way to serve one another, provide hospitality for the lonely, offer hope to those in mourning, and that's just what I've seen in this past week. When we follow Jesus into self-giving, then we also follow him into joy, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Costs don't feel like costs when they are given out of love. Church, since we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, 
and the communion of saints. We're going to move into a time of reflection and confession. Is God highlighting ways that you have not been in step with the Spirit? Ways that you have acted out of self-interest instead of self-giving, especially as it relates to the church? Take a moment to acknowledge these things, asking for God's forgiveness. We know that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Since we have been forgiven and brought into God's family the communion of saints, let us profess our faith using the creed that has been spoken by the church throughout the centuries. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.